lighting was a little late. Our interim youth pastor was back there <laughs> talking to our one of our youth. Um, no, I'm just. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> anyways, what's up? Um, hey, we are continuing in the series on the book of John. Uh, if you guys don't know, I would love for you to know that we're in the season of Lent right now. And Lent, what is this? Uh, it is a reflection uh, on uh, Jesus uh, when he was out in the desert. And so Jesus is out in the desert, and he is going through 40 days of um, fasting and 40 days where he's being tempted. And uh, this is what we do. This is why we have this season um, not so that we can go through the desert or go tempted, but we can say, God, there are certain things in my life that um, I would love just to give up in order to spend more time with you, to get closer to you, all right? And so we just encourage you to be a part of that. Um, some, it's a part of a liturgical uh, tradition, and that's cool. And uh, what all it means is that during uh, Monday through Saturday that you're giving up something, um, whatever that might be, all right? And you don't have to get all posty about it and, you know, I'm off Instagram, I'm fasting. Okay, um, just, just don't go on Instagram. <laughs> like, you don't need to post about it. Please. It's embarrassing. Um, and so, uh, so just uh, do that, whatever that might be. All right. For you, it might be saying maybe it's like, you know what, I'm just going to fast um, lunch. And some of you are like, that ain't happening. Uh, maybe you're going to say, you know, during the evening, I'm not going to be on my phone. Like I'm going to make a committed effort during this 40 days just to turn my phone off, not be available, not be distracted, spend some time uh, with Jesus. And so we just encourage you. I encourage you to do that. I think it's rich. Um, you know, it's not about gaining brownie points with God. Uh, it's about getting closer to him and becoming more like Jesus. And so I encourage you to do that. So we're going to continue in our series uh, on John, the one and only Dave Baker, also more commonly known to me as Dad, uh, is going to come up and share with us. Yes, we can clap. Yeah, that's cool. Blames it on you, Ricky. Am I on? Oh, okay. When Andy gave me this passage to speak on in the continuation of, of John, I thought, well, okay. I'm not going to read all 49 verses for you. That'll just take the whole time. So uh, I've just got selected verses that we're gonna that'll show up on the screen behind me. And uh, if you have your Bibles or your electronic gadgets or whatever, and you want to follow along, it's in John six, and we're gonna pick up on at verse twenty-two. But I'm not gonna read that one. Uh, we're gonna jump down to verse twenty-five, and in twenty-five it says this: They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi. When did you get here? Here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to go back to the first century. You see, because we've read these passages and we're so familiar with them that we forget these people had no idea of some of the things that were going on. And so we know that Jesus has performed a miracle and he's fed, what, five to 20,000 people, we don't know. Uh, and, and he tells his disciples to go ahead and leave and they get in a boat and, and they leave and Jesus goes and, and prays. Now the people understand that, okay, they left. Jesus isn't here. Where'd he go? And so the question they ask is very legitimate, really. You know, okay, uh, when did you get here? How, the better question is, how did you get here? See, they don't know what we know. We know that he walked on water. They have no idea that he's walked on water. They just know that you got here somehow. How'd you do that? And Jesus, in his typical fashion, doesn't answer the question. Here's what he says in verse 26 and following. I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal, his seal of approval. Now, when we, when we read that, once again, uh, like what I mentioned when Jesus performed miracles before, they don't have an understanding of why the miracles are happening. And he points that out. He says, you're just here because I fed you, but understand that's not what miracles are about. See, miracles are to point to God, to point to his character, his nature, the things he does. And throughout the Gospels, they validate the very things that Jesus is proclaiming, that he is the Son of God, that he is equivalent to the Father, and that he is the Messiah, the one that they know from Scripture. But they don't, they don't understand this at all. Jesus wants them to get a hold of that reality. He wants them to understand that he's the one that they're to uh, fall in love with, that he is, in fact, the Messiah. And so he's, he's encouraged them to seek him because he has the Father's approval. And so from this, I think there are three takeaways that we can get. One is, God doesn't always answer our questions. He doesn't always answer our questions, and he doesn't even answer them in the timely manner that we want sometimes. The second thing that he wants us to understand is, why does he do miracles? And it's not a question that he does miracles. He does do miracles. Why does he do them? You might be like me right now, 
there are some people within the vineyard and outside of the vineyard who need a miracle from God. And I hope that you're praying and believing that God can give that miracle, that he can do that. But the whole purpose in that is to show that his, he loves them and show his character and his nature. The other thing that we take away is this, that we're to spend our energy and our efforts seeking eternal life that only comes through Christ. And then he goes on in verse 28, and he says this, well, they say, they replied, we want to perform God's works, so what should we do? How many of you in here want to perform God's works? Yeah, we all do, don't we? I hope we do. Okay, so he's going to tell us what that is. Jesus said, this is the only work God wants for you. Believe in him, the one he has sent. You want to do the work of God? Believe in Jesus. That's the work that God wants us to do. All the other things flow out of that relationship, flow out of what happens when we have a relationship with Jesus. And so that's what he says the main work is. So if we want to perform the works of God, we need to be in a relationship with him. Jesus makes them aware that the only work of God that is very significant is to have a relationship with him. He wants them to understand, and guess what? That hasn't changed. The single most important thing that we can do as a person is have a relationship with Jesus, to believe in Jesus. And then he goes on in John 6, 30 through 33. says this, They answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? What can he do? I mean, what did they see him do? Feed 5,000 men and maybe kids and women, maybe 20,000 people. Now, they didn't know this, that he did it with five loaves and two fishes. Now, how many of you think that's pretty amazing? How many of you that's ever happened to you? I have a friend, a pastor friend, who was in Kenya and they were going to do communion together. The only thing that happened is they made preparations for a certain number of people, and guess what? More people showed up unexpectedly. And you know what happened? He got a little nervous, because he's thinking, this is very important, I've been teaching on this, we're going to do communion together, and some people are going to miss out. That's just what he was thinking. Now, none of us would have thought like that, would we? But guess what God did? He kept providing and providing and providing, and everyone got to take communion. And when they were done, he was absolutely amazed. 
Do you think those disciples were amazed? Remember what happened after they fed the 5,000? What happened? They picked up the remnants. How much remnants did they pick up? Twelve baskets full from five loaves and two fishes. Now, how many of you know, though, later on, they're not even going to understand what took place? They had 12 baskets left over. They didn't understand what took place at all. I wonder. They've seen Jesus do this, and they say, show us a miracle. (laughs) If you're really who you are, show us a miracle. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus goes on because they've made a mistake. Moses was only the instrument that provided that manna. The manna came from God. And so Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says that. Now remember, you're living in the first century. For you to understand this, what the, the magnitude, they know all about what Moses did, but they don't understand when Jesus says to them that they're to eat of the bread that comes down from heaven. And, and so he goes on and he says this. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replies, I am the bread of life. If you know anything about the Gospel of John, this is the, one of the ego of me statements, the I am statements that he makes. And here he says, I am the bread of life. How many of you think they remember back another statement like that, the I am statement? Remember that I am statement? Who should I tell them I, you are? Tell them I am. And so here he is, he's requ- relating this to himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. How many of you know this? All this was happening for them in real time. Now here we are in 2022, been separated by this by about more than 2,000 years. They didn't understand what was going on. And how many of you know this? There are many people around our lives that don't understand this message. That Jesus, in fact, is the bread of life. He's the only one that can 
minister to the inner needs that we have. The only one. There's nothing else that can minister to the inner needs that we have. And he wants them to understand this. Are we so different than they are sometimes? How many of you read God's word and you have questions and you have doubts? Or maybe God's spoken specifically something to you and and you come back like this, well, God, if, if you just do this, or if you just do that, or if you just make this provision, then I'll know it was you. Isn't that exactly what they're saying? If you just show us another miracle, we'll believe you. And we're not so distant from them as we think sometimes. So he goes on, and I'm going to pick up in in verse 39. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up in the last day, for it is my Father's will that all who see his Son will believe in him and should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last time. What's God's will? What's his will? I just read it. What is it? That we believe in Jesus. That's God's will. People that you know. And don't assume because we live in a quote-unquote Christian nation that everybody knows Jesus. That everybody has a relationship. Even if they go to church, that doesn't mean they have a relationship with Jesus. Some of you know my story. That I went to church, I loved singing the hymns and all that, but I had no idea that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus. The church that I went to never preached that. At that time, they preached the social gospel. They didn't preach the gospel that comes in God's scripture. And so I had no idea. Now, I knew God was at work, and I did all those kind of things. I, I mean, I was aware of that. But nobody ever told me that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus. And that didn't happen until I was 24 years old. That I became aware that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I want to tell you, that revolutionizes your life. And I'm so glad for that. And so don't assume that people that you know know Jesus. Don't even assume that if they go to church because they may not have the faintest idea what all that means. And so God's will is that we should have a relationship with Jesus. It goes on in verse 41. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? See, 
they probably didn't know the Christmas story like we do. Some of them had never, now, you remember that map I gave you last time? Jesus covered a pretty large territory walking around. How many of you know they didn't have cell phones? They didn't have any way to, to find out all this stuff. It just came word of mouth. And so they may have not heard the Christmas story about the virgin birth, the miraculous. They may not have known that Jesus changed water into wine. They may not have known that he healed that man at the pool of Bethesda who'd been atrophied for 38 years. They didn't even understand that he had walked on water. And so they're saying, let's just change this a little bit and said, who does he think he is? I mean, who's this guy think he is? He's saying he's the bread of life. How can that be? We know his parents. How can that be? And Jesus replies, Stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. <coughs> Jesus is saying, no one can come to him on his own. If you're here, if you're listening via this live stream, I want you to know this. You can't just come to Jesus because you think that's a great idea. If you have a relationship with Jesus, it's because he drew you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He draws us to the Father. And so what he's saying is, that has never been man's idea. See, that's, what, that's the difference between Christianity and all the other religions of the world. They don't have a living Savior. Most of them have to work their way into the kingdom, whatever that kingdom is. Christianity is very exclusive. It's inclusive, but it's exclusive. It's exclusive in the sense that there's only one way to get in, and that's through Jesus. It's inclusive in the sense that his desire is that none would perish but all come to repentance. And so Jesus makes it very clear here. And then we move on in verse 47. It says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats the bread that came down from heaven will never die. Now they're going to argue more. But get this, in verse 53, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life 
within you. Now, remember, you're first century people. Jesus says this. You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you cannot have eternal life. Now, I want you to be honest with me. How would you have responded to that? That's weird. In fact, it reminds me of cannibalism. I mean, come on. You want me to eat your flesh and drink your blood? Yuck. And the thing of it is, in these passages, he doesn't clarify or define what he's talking about. So when you look down at these people and go, don't they get it? No. No, because they, did, they didn't understand at all what, he, what he's talking about. And for us, we understand this, that salvation through communion is very significant in the kingdom, don't we? Even the church struggled with this. How many of you know that in the Catholic tradition, they feel like the elements represent the very body and blood of Christ? That's why a priest has to drink every bit of that wine, because that's the very blood of Christ. Then on the other end of the spectrum, we have those that, that, that feel it, it's just an emblem. It's just uh, something can, we can relate to, but, you know, not such a big deal. I kind of like Luther's approach to it, who says, well, it's not the actual body and not the actual blood, but there's a mysterious presence there when you take that. And I think that he kind of hit the nail on the head. I really do. And the reason that I think that is because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 30. And that's not going to show up on the screen because they don't have it. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. This is why many of you are weak and sick and even have died. How many of you think maybe that's a little bit stronger than just being an emblem, just being a symbol? No, there's something there that tells us, hey, this is really serious. So here's what we want to do at this time. I was going to save it to the end, but, but you're going to understand why I didn't do that when we finish up the passage. So if you don't have one, Please get one if you're at home. 
go ahead and get some elements, get, get whatever you want to get. Now, we're going to do this together, and I'm going to wait until everybody, because, you know, for some folks, that first layer that doesn't always come off so nice for the bread. In fact, I, a couple times, I've had to rustle it almost off. So everybody got it. Hold it up if you have it open and you're ready. Good. See, this, what we're going to do is we're going to eat his flesh. This represents the body of Christ, his flesh. And he says, if you don't eat my flesh, you cannot have eternal life. And I just want us to just stop for a moment, and I want you to do some reflection because we don't want to take, I don't want you to take, and I don't want to take unworthily. I don't want to get sick. I don't want you getting sick. I don't want to die. I don't want you to die. So I want you to close your eyes, and I just want you to meditate on this, the body of Christ, just for a second. God, I thank you that this represents your body. And you've told us that we must eat this which represents your body if we're to have eternal life. And we know that that means having a relationship with you, and so we're grateful for that relationship. And we want you to be glorified as we take this which represents your body together. So let's take it. Now we know the body is significant. Know the hymn what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so here, again, I just want you to reflect. I want you to give him, in your own way, thanks for his blood that has removed your sin and my sin as far as the east is from the west never to be remembered again. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that you shed for me and for us to take away our sin. That which was red, crimson, has now been turned white because of your work and what you've done. And so it's with great, great gratitude that we participate in drinking this which represents your blood that has taken away our sin. Let's take it together.
All right. Now I turn to verses, I continue the narrative here. It said, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can we accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? And it did. It offended them. And he goes on. He says, then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend into heaven again? And that's not going to show up there. It offended them so badly that now they're going to turn away from him. I wonder, in reality, has God ever offended you? And in that offense revealed what you really think, what you maybe even really believe. God's not afraid to offend us. His purpose in offending is for us to get a better picture of who he is and what he does and how much he cares. And so in verse 66, it says this. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Many who were excited about Jesus, that were part of the group, could not deal with this because they were offended. And so they turned away. And so he asked them, are you going to leave me? And Simon Peter replies, Lord, to whom else can we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe, we know that you're the Holy One of God. How many of you know that Peter said more than he knew? Because it isn't going to be long until Satan, until he's going to, Jesus is going to say to him, you know, I got to say this. My wife said that to me the other day. We were walking and I got ahead of her or something. She says, Satan, get behind me. I said, well, thank you, honey. <laughs> but he doesn't understand exactly what he's saying here. Not only is Jesus going to have to rebuke him, but then Peter's going to deny him. And so Peter says more than he realizes. I wonder, can we, how do we answer this question? When Jesus says to them, are you going to leave me? Maybe he would say that to you. Are you offended by me? Are you going to walk away from me? Are you going to turn your back on me? And then we have to respond. Sometimes in our response, we don't know all that we're saying. 
but that's very important. If God's offended you, how have you dealt with it? Or how are you dealing with it? And then he ends up the passage here. And that's why we could not take communion at the end of the service. Because here's what he says. Then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one of you is a devil. Now remember, you're in this group. Jesus says, I've chosen you, but one of you is a devil. What are you going to do? You want to look around see who that other person is. Because you know it's not you, right? And he was speaking of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, one of the twelve, who would later betray him. <laughs> What's our takeaway from that? Here it is. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You want to make sure that you're right. You want to make sure that you're in a relationship with him. You want to make sure, like that song we sing, what was it? Breathe in, sing out. Is that how it was? Breathe in, sing out what? Oh, my soul, remember what? You are here with us. I want to tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. I want you to stand.